Oh, we're back, baby. We took a week off, but welcome back to Inside the GM Studio. Table, uh, fucking shit. Yep. Week off. Podcast about Gotta a tabletop get a- RPG. It's mainly center for the Game Masters, but players, come on in. You're also welcome. I am your host, David. And I'm Matt. And uh, we got our old sponsors back here with me. Uh, <laughs> sponsoring us tonight, uh, we got uh, Ezra Brooks, Distillers Collection, as well as uh, Dave. Who, who's your sponsor tonight? Uh, Elijah Craig's. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, uh, last week, Dave was uh, gallivanting off in Vegas, uh, having a good time with cigars and strippers and shit. No strippers, just cigars. Just cigars. Work. Yeah. It was all work. Yeah. That's one thing about that show. It's all work. You never get to play. It's just all work. I'm fine with that. People are like, I was Vegas. Look, it's a shithole. I don't know where you're supposed <laughs> I mean, to be in town. It's 120 sucks. degrees in the shade, and just yeah. walking from my hotel to the convention center sucks. I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, lots of cigars and stuff, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about No. Gaming. We're here to talk about the new campaign, I feel, yesterday, session two, yep. and it really opened up last night. I had a fucking blast. I loved last night, but uh, I'm sure you got to see I had about three or four cups of coffee in me. I took a nap beforehand and I was just ready to go. And I was I was having a great time. Uh, Dave made it. We're going straight into like a mystery right after a big confrontation with a manicure. And now we're getting into the mystery of it all. And did you uh, did you make this? intro like right after i told you that i wanted to make my character like an investigator like a sherlock holmes sort of dude nope that was just what i was planning already um so i had already had this kind of planned out but i wanted to start that kind of whole in media res for that reason i realized that like starting a campaign with kind of an investigation element can disengage some players Mm -hmm. Uh, mike was really disengaged last night he didn't have a whole lot to do he's a barbarian yeah i was gonna say people i don't know if we talked about it uh with the old players i know you've heard their names i'm playing uh coming up an inquisitive rogue uh very very you know sherlock holmesy like i said patrick is playing a wizard we don't know what kind of wizard just yet uh mike is a barbarian and beto is playing a cleric we've lost chris He's more of a, Beto is more of a tanky cleric, but still has some of that uh, curiosity and social acumen that he's kind of known for. So that's cool. I like the way his character is played out. He's less strikery, but kind of, you know, still has some of those social skills. Patrick is coming out of his shell a little bit, especially I think the investigation is kind of getting him a little more wrapped in the game, but Mike was definitely like very much out of the game. He is just kind of there at the behest of Patrick's character who has employed him as a bodyguard, so mm-hmm. to speak. So when you're a barbarian who is predominantly combat oriented and a little um, not really with the smarts and the skills, he didn't have a lot to do, but I thought it was a worthwhile endeavor for this leg. He, he'll be more involved after the... Um, this kind of chapter concludes but yeah we're second we're solidly kind of getting into the tail end of one more session we'll probably wrap up the first act and then we'll be into the kind of meat of the adventure i wanted there to be some intrigue elements of things that you had to unravel that are both relevant to the inciting incident at the loggers camp but as well as the over 
arcing plot of the uh, adventure. I felt like I sowed some seeds pretty good there, but just as is typical with any investigation thing, I was trying to... I didn't have a lot of time to go like with the description and the in-character dialogue because mm. it's like if we had done that, we wouldn't have gotten through what we got through. I wanted to kind of you can't make every guard have like a unique personality and, and justify in-character dialogue with each one of them. Right. I, wa- I, I kind of knew where I wanted the cliffhanger to be um, the primary one and then like a backup one and we. I knew that we would get to the backup one as long as I paced it accordingly. Um, the primary one I thought was a little bit of a stretch unless you guys were pretty ingenious about talking to all the right people, asking all the right questions in a very succinct way. Um, but it's playing out how I thought it would. You guys are asking the right questions. I think that you're getting some of the information, unraveling some of the mystery, but I think you're still at least a little bit confused as to what's going on, which yeah. is interesting. Oh, and speaking of, I wanted to ask you, you don't have to answer if you don't want to, um, because none of the other players really listen to this, and <laughs> we're kind of past it, and I don't know if we'll ever go back to it, and plus, I really don't give a shit. I'm more, I'm not a spoilery, spoilery kind of dude. So when we first went into the vault, uh, when Patrick was just like, I cast detect magic and you're like oh well what's the the stipulate you know it goes through this much and this much well then no no you don't you don't sense anything was there anything actually there or were you playing up to what we both do uh, i know that we both do it where we're just like "Mm, no you don't no not right now you don't sense anything at this moment um well i was uh keep in mind that i didn't i don't have a list of every stitch of treasure that's in Mm -hmm. the vault right i I didn't have like a whole catalog of lists i rattled off a bunch of shit that i just seems like would be in accounts um treasury and i would the initial ask was okay i don't really remember how much i need to cement in my mind because he's obviously going to be using detect magic quite a bit Mm -hmm. i need to cement in my mind certain things um i was doing a little bit of the latter um basically just trying to be like oh how much i I was really in earnest asking how much material does it go through and because i wanted to know because in my brain i was thinking okay there are some chests here and i made it known that the chests are made at least the exterior of them is made of metal and it doesn't seem unreasonable that a count might have a couple of maybe low-level magic items here in his treasury, likely contained in those chests. So I just asked to get an idea, like, okay, is his detect magic going to be able to penetrate this barrier of metal on the exterior of the chest to see that there is maybe a couple of low-level magic items Uh, in there? Okay, okay. And so I really was asking in earnest initially, um, but then I was like, okay, well, that's kind of a little bit of a... a little bit of Like, oh, okay, no, you don't whatever but um so it's a little probably a little column a little column and uh for all you dear listeners out there when it comes to stuff like this make sure you reread spells again last night patrick brought up he cast identify on a person and both dave and i and like me i've played a lot of spellcasters in my day a lot and i guess i just never had identify that much possibly 
But I didn't oh. I didn't know that you could cast it on a person. Because the fucking thing says under like target, yeah. it says one object. It doesn't say one object or person. Yeah. And so, yes, in the text of the of the spell, it does say that. Once he mentioned it, I had a recollection of that. Um but completely I, over my head. Ever... I didn't even fucking realize. I didn't know you could do that. Because you're just seeing what the spell affects. Yeah. Uh, like what's affecting your target. But it never gets used that because it's most useful to identify magic items yeah. and stuff. Yeah, it was fucking nuts though. He pulled that out and he was like, this is what I'm doing. I was like, what the fuck is he doing? And then looked it up and sure enough, you can. You can use it on a person. It was good. It was a good use. It shows that he's trying to make the most of his utility of his spells. I would venture to guess that this will be the most interesting character that Patrick has run because he's a real uh, Patrick is a programmer by nature for those that listen to the show. Don't really know much about our players, but Patrick is a pro programmer, which means that he thinks like a engineer basically. So um, he's designed this character. I would guess to have a lot of utility in a lot of circumstances, which uh, typically to varying degree or to great success when he decides that he wants to maximize whatever a character is doing. So like this paladin in the previous campaign was like designed to kind of be like a damage dealing mm -hmm. paladin. And he was very good at that. He was a smite all day long. Yeah. This character is likely to be more, uh, kind of utilitarian. And mm -hmm. it seems like he's designed him toward that, which I am more intrigued by and more interested. Oh, in. definitely. So am I, this so. is, We've got a really good group right now in that <clears throat> we really only have one real striker. If we're going to go into like the we're not doing like the Holy Trinity right now. We're more into the quad um, where Beto is. He's the tank and healer. Uh, mm -hmm. Both me and Patrick are more of the. We are support pretty much like my yeah. character is I'm not. A big damage dealer even though i got my you know my sneak attack and all that but i'm still sure. not a huge damage dealer i'm more Even of as that sneak attack scales you're gonna be dealing yeah. more damage but like i am i made my dude that nothing can get past him that's the only thing he's very perspective perceptive he's very you know investigation and all that shit he can insight he can tell if motherfuckers are lying like crazy and then uh patrick is he's becoming more utility than anything else so i i kind of dig it i dig it a lot really uh, it's yeah, a Mike, Mike is kind of like a more of a striker with a little bit of tank, and then Beto is like support mm -hmm. like healer slash tank. Patrick is like controller utility, yeah, and then you're like striker utility, yeah. and so it's like there's a lot of utility, especially, and you're gonna need that too because it doesn't seem like anyone in the party has very good charisma. No, not at um, all. So, so I mean, you guys have. A, a moderate amount of crew but nobody has a i think even above a plus one charisma no uh that so. this is the first time i've played a character with a negative one charisma in years mm -hmm. yeah yeah you're, you're playing that up pretty well i think you're making your guy kind of boorish and kind of yeah, obnoxious a little bit more yeah pompous and mm -hmm. he try he thinks himself more than a lot of other people that he comes around but as soon as he likes you he tries to bring you in even though yeah he's still gonna kind of tear you down every now and then yeah i'm trying to bring the npc into the fold and try to give him a little bit more personality which probably plays into our main topic oh yes today, but we'll, we'll get we'll get to that later Bor is one of my favorite parts and we will talk about him much more 
But uh, I want to, because this is something new for us, I want to bring it up pretty much every episode, at least as long as we play. How are you feeling with the new rules that you put in place? So, so, far, so last good. session that we played two weeks ago, mm-hmm. I thought they were great. So far, so good. Uh, last night, we didn't really do anything with them, but except that we stated our fate point uh, yeah. circumstances. Yeah. And you got at least a list of those, and you're feeling pretty good about all those? I'm Now that I have them, I can kind of, I've started to brainstorm ideas of where I can kind of like weave them into the plot. I thought you guys did all a fairly good job of understanding the the intent of the fate point thing. And and I think it's neat. And I, the previous, uh, the previous session, yeah, we got through a little more of the, uh, got through a little more of the new rules. Although this week we did get the, the well-rested bonus. Oh, we did go through one. We did. We got got the well-rested. And I remember that because I, my, I went back up to my, my full nine hit points, but Mm -hmm. I got six temp on top of that. So it's kind of nice, uh, starting off that fresh day with, Pretty much thinking I have 15 hit points right now. Yeah. And inspiration, I, which I used much later, which was awesome as well. I you were in an inn, and so uh I mean it didn't help that I kind of blacked out like the fucking returning to the inn and we dealt some stuff, and then once everybody started talking about it, I was like, Yeah, I think I just had one too many drinks that night. Dude, I, I don't know because well, I was obviously falling asleep during that yeah. time, so but I didn't remember any of that either. Once they mentioned it, I was like, oh, right. Yeah, I, remember I remember the half work stuff. So I was like, oh, yeah. that Okay, I do remember that. But it seemed to, I mean, who knows whether that was the carrot dangled in front of everybody. But there was a decent amount of, like, kind of cool role playing and camaraderie. I really want, like, the party is just kind of thrown together. And I'm trying to find ways which they can kind of build that camaraderie quickly. And so to not have this kind of like why are we adventuring together why are we whatever doing this and that your goals are aligned last session last night was definitely more centered around your guys sensibilities Mm -hmm. but i also wanted to make it clear that this is an adventure that's going to be at least a little bit plot driven so let's try to involve ourselves in the plot and get invested you were very proactive i thought patrick and beto were involved and invested mm-hmm. and mike was i mean i didn't get the sense that he was bored but he just really didn't have a lot to do that played to his character sensibility yeah, he but was there again, when we brought up this especially like at that one point where it's like take him with you and you know if you need to play good cop bad cop you know what to mm-hmm. do and you know that kind of perked him up a little bit and like well, yeah give him a purpose for what's going on he seemed interested he didn't seem he didn't seem to have a lot to do but i don't think we lost him that he was like disengaged especially because this investigation element's not likely to to go on for too much longer maybe a couple of hours into the next session um and then you know the the plot will likely push forward i think there's a lot enough mystery and intrigue but um to give a sense of what's going on i tried to do a little more world building um Mm -hmm. although i was kind of fumbling around in my notes to like find people's names and locations and shit a little bit i probably should one thing because i've been working on it myself with like my character and where my family's from and where we rule you know my Mm -hmm. family is the the lords of and i gotta find out what the title maybe they're count as well count and countess well countess because my mother is the 
the she's the matriarch of everything. Right. Um, but uh, it made me start to think of like, oh my god, where is my family from, and why is this? You know, oh, I'm gonna put it. You know, our little kingdom in it's surrounded by mountains and there's not a lot of foliage and all this other stuff. And it's hard to make me think about it. And that was, I, I got really into that and I started thinking about what I want to talk to whenever I come across other nobility, you know, when can I start bringing this stuff up? But it's really cool to start thinking about that sort of stuff to bring in. Like, where is your lands from? Where do you reign and where are you from? Well, it's not an established world. So I was kind of just going, okay, well, Here's this and here's this. Here's the immediate region that you're in, right? This You're in this republic, basically, which is an amalgam of a variety of different counties and baronies mm. where they all rule um, in a much more kind of council and democratic way, uh, which means that there's a variety of different uh, municipalities, I guess, uh, that are competing for things. And so it, it, it lays a little bit of groundwork for some politicking but not necessarily super centric toward that uh so i i kind of like that i'm just kind of charting that path as it goes forward mm. uh, but i wanted there to be a little bit of groundwork and a little bit of background to kind of pull on with you guys so that it it brings you into the fold and it seems like keeps you invested in the plot the other thing i wanted to say about last night's session is i've seen a lot of people put on forums and through reddit and other sites here and there where they talk about like heavy RP sessions don't feel engaging enough as a game because there's not a lot of dice rolling. Bullshit. Last night was really heavy RP, I feel, mm-hmm. in a lot of areas. And there was dice rolling everywhere. The only per- Mike was the only one that n- didn't roll a lot of dice. He rolled a couple perception checks, yeah. but other than that. He did some perception checks. He did a persuasion, uh, but still, like, I just want people out there to know that you can make it uh, RP heavy and still roll the dice. There's always reasons for you to roll the dice out there and make the game still feel like a game. There was more skill checks than probably an average session. Hell, there probably would have been a lot more if you didn't have passive perception and insight so high. Right. uh, Or investigation, rather. Hmm. It's like your investigation and and perception are good enough that I just kind of gave you information when I met that threshold. And so there would have been a lot more rolling. Um, the other characters roll, you know, Patrick used a spell and um, used a couple of spells. Mm-hmm. And so that was good. Beto didn't really employ a lot of spells, but he did make use of one of his class features at the beginning of the day. Um, so there was a decent amount of variety. I thought that it went off pretty well. I, I liked the pacing, although I will say that that pacing to get to the cliffhanger that we got to i the cost of that was that the a lot of the role-playing interactions probably weren't super lively Mm. and that's okay i think to a lesser degree but i was trying to cement the idea in beto's head like look dude you're just like running back and forth between this like one guy like just yeah be a little more thoughtful about the information that you want and then you can, we can deal with it all in one go. And that's a better use of time because maybe we can have it be a scene that it, there is a little more dialogue as opposed to, okay, you ran back here and you go over here and you show this to Matt's character. And then you go back over here and it's like, okay, so now we have to like, you know, do this. And 
okay, so we kind of just have to gloss over like what questions are you asking him, and what do you what is it that you want to know, and Mike was Mike was kind of like uh, I think he sensed a little he was a little frustrated because he's like well this guy doesn't fucking know anything I'm like no he just knows what he knows right like I want you to get out of the mindset that there's going to be like Mister Exposition Man that just knows everything and everything they know a narrow bit of information it's your job to kind of piece together what information stitch it together in a way that gets the narrative i think that's fun um but i understand him being a little when are we gonna i don't i don't do that right? yeah i just want to like get to i like, want to give you props on that to uh you never really told beto outright you're just like dude you know you're just running back and forth and you're mm-hmm. wasting a lot of time doing this you played up the uh the captain of the guard you played up his frustration is what you did is you were just like, you could see, you know, whenever Beto showed up, you're like, you could see it in his face that you keep showing up. You just take his ledger and now you just keep coming back and asking these questions. Well, imagine you were the captain of the guard who in the wake of something being stolen and your guys somewhat responsible for that. And then you're trying to do some damage control and you got this guy that you're told to cooperate with, but he comes, he gets a ledger from you, which you give him. And then he runs to you, and then like five minutes later, he's back asking other, like, it's like, dude, I could have just given you access to all of these guards yeah. before. I have other shit to do. I don't just sit here and wait for you to show up and ask me questions. What so. I appreciated was that you didn't just come out as Dave and said, stop doing this. You should just yeah. do this. You played it in character as the captain of the guard that, you know, you told him about how he looked. And when he looked at you, you know, he said, if you would like, we can just pick out whatever guards we want to talk to and you did it really well in character in the game instead of just coming out and like telling him stop doing this do this do this do this Beto's never really had a situation like this none of the other campaigns were really investigation focused so he is pretty good about knowing which questions to ask Mm -hmm. but he's also um kind of got the blinders on sometimes he's like Hey, I got this idea that we need this ledger. I go get the ledger. And then he brought it back to you and then he showed it to you. And then he was like, huh, yeah, I should, I'd like to question the guy that was like stationed here. It's like, and you didn't think that that's why you needed a ledger uh-huh. like, while you were there. Now you're just going to run back to the other guy and ask him for access to him when you could have probably thought at least one step ahead. So yeah. he's, it's a learning process. And, uh, that, I'm I'm super keen to kind of when you're in a situation like this to make the environment feel like it's like it's alive. The guards are doing stuff. They're on post. They're at lunch. The the captain it doesn't happen in a vacuum where he just sits there and waits for you to come back. So um, hopefully I'm I'm making the environment of the at least the manor so far feel a little more, for lack of a better word, lived in. Uh, we didn't get a lot of texture of the city, but I tried to set up the way the city is laid out. And I don't know. The I, f- I fell in love with a uh, a shop owner. Uh, I think yeah. we're going to go back to her a few times. Um, but yeah, no, uh, we've started off so far only in session two. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. really enjoying where we're at right now, and I can't wait to see where it's going to be going. But let's get out of our problems and our game. Let's yeah. get into somebody else's. So let's go ahead and roll this die and get into a community question. 13. 13. 13. Oh, I got a 13 right here. This one comes from Celery Soup 39 on Reddit. 
Love these fucking Reddit names, man. <laughs> you guys are killing it, by the way. All right, title. My character feels insignificant compared to the other player characters. I'm in a cool campaign with a cool story and a total of six players, including myself. I like this campaign. I like the, the character that I play. The DM allows something called flaws or feats. There are a list of flaws that impact your character in various ways. And for every flaw you take, you can take a feat or a maximum of or ASI. I don't know what that means. Uh, you could take a list of uh, take. You could take a feat or ASI. A, I don't know. Uh, oh, uh, ability, ability score, score increase. increase. There we go. Yep. Maximum of five. This allows. Oh, my God. I got dog hair in my mouth. This allows for some pretty good character builds. And I use that along with some lucky homebrew life events to both get a base movement speed of 55 and a potential to deal 1d12 plus 17 plus 1d6 plus 2 damage as a level 3 barbarian with a feat and magic items gained through life events. I felt okay. like I had an incredible character who could do incredible things. I was going to be a character who can move faster and hit harder. I could be the protector of the party. Then the wild-shaped druid druid rogue and the rogue on horseback with horseshoes of speed sped right past my character and then the rogue dealt 50 damage in one turn and now i feel like despite trying my hardest to be useful my character can't even hold a candle to them i feel useless my roles are already filled by better and other characters what's the point of being there if others can do what i can do but better Holy shit, this is one of the best questions we've actually gotten in quite a while. The problem is with the DM. like They're level three? Yeah, this it says level three. Thing. Yeah, this is the problem when you try to empower your characters to be as awesome as possible at an early level. Their power gamer is just like, he, he's, he was thoughtful. He's like, oh, I got this cool concept. And my DM is like, and so like I got like this awesome capability. And then someone else just hacked the system. Yep. Um because the campaign is more focused on on numbers the, the mechanical awesomeness of stuff yep you want to make your character more awesome try giving them a more enriched and lively personality than the other characters and um but that said the fun of the game shouldn't come from how uh because empirically your character is awesome he's just not as awesome as the other characters mm -hmm. it's not like your guy is like underpowered or useless but you're only level three man try tries when they zig try zagging try do doing a different tactic build your guys fast and and strong now but you're only level three you're not committed to that character path if someone else does what you do better already then start thinking about the things that you do well now as second tier things mm. and start investing in something completely different. It sounds like you can go from zero to about a fucking hundred with the rule skill, like the rule set that your DM has laid out. So you can pivot pretty damn quickly if, if some other character is faster than you. OK, well, speed is no longer my thing. I'm just going to kind of cap that out. I'm a fairly fast character. But, uh, but you know, I'm not as fast as this guy. This guy's thing is being fast. I'm going to lean into something else entirely that maybe is embedded in the, uh, in the 
character design, campaign design of your DM. I, I get feeling marginalized because someone else's character is like cooler than yours, but that doesn't need to like invalidate your your skills. Just try doing something different. Like you're early enough level and apparently the sky is the fucking limit based on what you said. What his character sounds like it can do is pretty ridiculous for level three. Fucking A. And, and let alone for for him to be that ridiculously awesome only to be completely overshadowed by other characters who presumably are the same level like fuck man just take advantage of that like there's no you can be that good at this thing and like something else on top of it just try to figure out what the the role in the party that you is lacking fill that niche and if you don't want to do that someone else does what you do then where's the harm like Mm -hmm. you know you're it, why do you need to be the best at something in order to for it to be useful? You don't. So, yeah. Uh, one thing is, whenever I create a character, and I've been trying to get away from this a little bit because both me and Rob, uh, Rob, who's been on this show before, uh, we both do the same thing. Whenever we create a character, we think of what they are known for, and then we mm-hmm. build up on that, and we we try to make them the best at it. Like my character right now in the D and D game. He is an inquisitive. He is, he's the detective. But the only thing that he's, that's the only thing that he's good at. Everything else he's not that good at. Uh, as a rogue, he's got a low dexterity. Uh, he's got a low constitution. He's just got a mediocre wisdom and intelligence to help boost his shit. Uh, but he can, you know, like Dave was talking about, I have a passive insight of 19. So I can tell if you're lying pretty fucking quick. And after the Inquisitive comes at level three, I can tell even better. But mm-hmm. I made him interesting because he's a noble. And mm-hmm. playing him out is so much fucking fun right now. Uh, as that he does kind of stick his nose up in the air towards a lot of other people. And he has his own agenda. So don't think that your character is only as important as the numbers that you're putting out. There's so much more that your character can do. But the but the DM is incentivizing that sort of thing. I know. It thing. seems like that's the whole thing is like the DM is just like, dude, we, we're just going to get you numbers, 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 numbers. Yeah. And so well, what do you do that? Well, then just try to game the system in a different way with different powers if you want to be unique. But why are you so fixated on being super unique? Yeah, if, if this is the sort of guy you want to run, then just run with it who cares if you're as good at it as someone else you you have to be better than them at something right if they're maxed out on what it is that they've done then it means just live in those things live in those areas i know uh hold on we're gonna get a little asmr here oh i didn't even think that came around but it doesn't matter um so i was thinking about that yesterday when we were playing uh because there's a few times that Dave did ask for a role whenever I did investigation or help. I didn't think, I don't think I did a perception role or anything, but I did an investigation Mm -hmm. role. But there could be times that Dave actually asked because he wants to see that number. You know, it's just like your passive is this, but I want to see what happens if you actually roll. I've done that plenty of times before. Sometimes it's just because if you roll a one, that's that one time that you're just not going to see anything. Or I just want to see what comes up. Uh, 
But when I rolled, it came up a little bit shorter than what I thought it would. And that's okay because I was able to play up on that because your shortcomings can also make your character fucking awesome. You're supposed to be this amazing thing. And then whenever you fuck up a little bit, it's okay because you can make it a lot of fun when you fuck up. It adds to your character. Yeah. And so don't, but it sounds like the system is kind of designed to be like almost ultra heroic. Yeah. And so it's not unreasonable for him to feel like, okay, well, I thought like my guy was pretty cool. And like these guys are, you know, doing already what it is that I do, but level three is still pretty low, you know, pivot into something else. Yeah. There's a um, lot of shit out there that you can still do. Yeah. Be just be a more versatile character. If, if, it's mechanics heavy, then just try to figure out a different way that you can build up a character that is distinct enough from your party mates to be interesting to you. And if you don't want to go a different direction, then just lean into what it is that you're doing and stop worrying so much how you compare to the other player's level of awesomeness. Like, you're still contributing, so... What's your view on talking to the other players as a player, Dave? Like if you, if after, say, you know, we hit level three and all this shit happened and I'm the dude that was making my, my dude and you, you guys are showing me up. And then one day after the game, I came to you and I was like, Hey man, I'm trying to make my guy like this. Can you just not? What do you, what do you think about that? I've, that responsibility lies with the DM, not the other players. Yeah, see, the I, other, I the, yeah, I tried to be devil's advocate for both of us on that, and the, the the other players are just trying to play in the sandbox that the DM creates. Uh-huh. You should be offering scenarios up to different players that play to their sensibilities. If you have somebody like, for instance, okay, you, one of the guys has a has a, a horse. Okay. Horses are not exactly like all that useful in dungeon uh-huh. settings. And your DM should acknowledge where your unique capabilities are and present scenarios that are uh, beneficial, that you're, you're a benefit to, that they shouldn't just be presenting scenarios because that are of one stripe and then the, the players are just going to play into that. And so this this happens all the time with certain proficiencies and stuff where it doesn't seem to make two shits of a difference what sort of like toolkit proficiencies you have. So players just don't ever bother with it. They don't care. And your, your DM needs to be providing a variety of scenarios that are satisfying to each of the players to our point previously about, you know, sharing the spotlight. You need to design scenarios that allow each character to shine and not have them linger too long. Almost the whole session in our game last night was like more centered around what Matt's character can do with two of the characters managing to, to find their role a little bit. And one character really not contributing to the overarching story or, or whatever. That's fine for one or even two sessions. But if Mike's character starts to feel like, well, why didn't I make a character that's really good in investigation mm-hmm. or really good in social skills? You know, I designed my guy to be kind of like a bruiser, but the whole plot is revolving around nothing that is interesting to me. You know, yeah, I got to throw him eventually. I'll have to 
ensure that there is some sort of scenario where he can shine and maybe Matt's character is not as useful. Right now, he's useful. Part of party uh, solidarity and cohesion has to do with acknowledging that each player, each character in the group has a role to play right. and that they're good and that they're useful under different circumstances. Mm-hmm. But if those circumstances never come up, then yeah, you're just along for the ride. I can pick locks really great, but like we never come up against anything that's locked. Right. So it's like, I'm just useless. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of foreshadowing into probably our next week's episode, but uh, reading into some of the stuff is I, uh, there was one line that I read in this article that I was reading talking about, a GM that runs modules can never run a module as is. And the way it is, and the way that they say that is a module can only be for this. And that mm-hmm. your players aren't going to make characters for this 100%. So there's yeah. at some point a DM has to recreate this module in order to make his all the players feel like they're functional. Fu- functional. 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 Um, unless you're just using the pre-gen ch- characters. Right. Most yeah. modules come with pre-gens and you hand them out to the character and it's like, okay, this guy is this and this this plot thread. and the, Yeah, you have to make something your own. If you're doing something that is a total homebrew, you should be able to craft and design it to your player's specifications. That doesn't mean that you have to give them everything that they want, although this player's GM sounds like he does exactly that sounds like yeah he um, just gives shit away he's like fucking santa claus over here <laughs> so um but you have to know when to fold them have have something that plays to your character's expectations yes and something that subverts their expectations something that shows the value of their skills mm. but also exploits some of their weaknesses occasionally that is a delicate balance. I don't dispute that. Uh, so you have to design the entire adventure toward that goal. That's the benefit of a homebrew. It's part of the reason I like I'm doing a homebrew for the first time in like a fairly long time. And I each stage of the way, I'm like, okay, this is kind of what I want to accomplish with tonight's session. And so far, it's going pretty well. There is some things that I'm trying to troubleshoot because uh, everything is just brand new. Uh, so the world, the characters, the the intrigue, the whatever. Uh, but that's the 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 intent is to be able to give something to everybody that they want to deny them something that they want to make them struggle to. You know, and if you're not doing that in a module, then, you know, it's just overly rich. It's like, yeah, we found a, a whole group of fighters. And it's like, we found this whole cache of magic wands. And it's like, <laughs> why do we give a fuck about this? We're not mm-hmm. uh, wizards. So it's like you tweak with stuff like that. And there's anybody that just runs a, a module straight as is that isn't your characters aren't just the the pre-generated characters in the adventure that are unique characters, then yeah, you're probably doing a bad job. Yeah. It's not going to work out. Yeah. You have to work out, but it just won't be satisfying in the way that you want an adventure to be satisfying. Right. Exactly. And there is a way, uh, that every good GM should know in order to make things work. Uh, especially for players that are somewhat new, they could be, 
you know, like these days, like, oh, I played a little bit of third edition back in my day. Oh, I played this or that. You know, I tried fourth edition. I wasn't a fan of. But guess what? If you come into my game, I always have, and I Dave has one. I have one in my Shadowrun game at home or at uh, my home game, quote unquote, work game. We have a an ally that we create mm-hmm. to help the party and kind of make. I like to think that our NPC allies help shape the world a little bit. Uh, when I create a good ally for the team, I don't always just want to because a lot of game masters think that when you make an NPC for the the team that's going to be with the team a lot mm-hmm. that they're going to be like that they're the key out of when shit hits the 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 fan mm. when the door doesn't want to open when they hit uh when they're between a rock and a hard place there's always going to be that one npc that gets gets them out of it nah, it's not really that i like when i create my npc for groups that they just kind of liven up the group a little bit when a lull happens. Sure. Uh, as well as they are always there for backup when they just need a little boost. So when we create good allies for our groups in our games, Dave, what are the, what are like, like the bullet points that you think of when you're creating one? That's a good question. I would probably make a distinction between types of allies. So the first question I ask myself is, what is this ally's utility? Mm -hmm. If they're in the party, it's different than if they're a source of information. And there's probably some, um, there's gradients between those. Like, do you think of like skill set that isn't being utilized? You want to bring someone in with that skill set? If they're a member of the party, then probably I think of where the gaps of the party are. I like NPCs in the party to not be a crutch. They're, they should be somebody that offers utility that the party doesn't already have, but shouldn't be relying on them too heavily to do things that they can't do. So... But that's one type of ally. There's other types of there are other types of allies that maybe are providing assistance to the party in uh, variegated ways uh, that they don't they don't exist in the party, but they are a resource for them. Mm-hmm. So usually, I just ask myself, what is the role of this ally? And what skills do they have that are valuable to the party? Maybe they have political clout. They don't exist in the party, but they have political clout. Or maybe they have information. They're a member of a guild. They're a member of um, nobility. They're a member of some sort of underground faction or something like that. And in which case the party might employ them for certain things. That's where I start. If they're in the party, then you need to be more thoughtful about kind of like filling the gaps. Mm. Do you have a different uh, assessment of what the role is? Do you assess it in a different way? Like maybe trying to make, well, I mean, I'll just leave the question. Yeah. So as somebody that plays more modern uh, settings, 
I guess to say, because I do a lot of cyberpunk settings, a lot of modern settings. Your role can is like it's, it can be like a life or death situation in the games. So recently with my Shadowrun game, I have two magic users, uh, a hacker and then an operative who is just very good with tools and weapons. Uh, what I found out what they were lacking was the driver. They need somebody that is able to get them from place to place, as well as just a good communications person. The person in the chair that is not the decker that's with them uh, going right. through the areas. So I brought in that. That's what I saw. And even when I do D&D, like medieval fantasy, I try to think of the roles like our group right now. Like you said, uh, me, Beto, and Patrick, we pretty much cover utility. Mm -hmm. And then Mike is tank striker. So we're kind of, you know, we need a couple more. We really do need a little bit more damage output in our group. So I would think of something like that. Just have somebody in the back lines that could help if not themselves. Uh, put out a little bit more damage that could at least help buff everybody else's damage. Right. So like when you were thinking of boar in our campaign right now, when boar first showed up, I thought, Ooh, we got a ranger because even though Mike says that he is of nature, which is our, our thing, you know, our barbarians are of nature. Uh, <laughs> he, they're not of nature, like an, a druid or a ranger. And, well, what I want, when I thought of that, first of all, when Boar first showed up, I was like, oh, we got a ranger dude showing up. So in my mind, as a GM and a player of almost 30 years, is like, oh, we're going to need some sort of, you know, uh, nature outdoorsman sort of thing to in order to progress. And now I don't know, because you've kind of changed them up a little bit. Uh, so when you were making boar, what were you thinking? First of all, I'm in your camp where it's, I think we're on the same page where it's like, you know, what is the role in the party? Uh, but that segues into my next question, which is, I mean, maybe it's bad form to answer a question with a question. Oh, no, (laughs) no, please. Um, but it's kind of gets into my decision making about this, uh, crafting this particular NPC. So I'll give you my answer after Mm -hmm. I ask you this question. And maybe the question is rhetorical. Maybe you don't feel the need to to answer, but beyond their particular skill set, filling a role in the party, one, uh, what other ways do you try to make the NPC unique? And what is, what is the goal of those uh, other methods? And, probably as a sub to that question are though does those other things serve the same goal as making their skill set unique is it like different that their their skill set is unique does that achieve the same thing as whatever other ways you try to make them unique or does it is it different all right so i'm going to try to give a short answer here uh so i've got two uh um oh my god uh Two things that I can go off of. One right now, RC, my NPC in my Shadowrun game, uh, she is a a wheelchair-bound 
goblin uh, rigger. So she's a driver uh, that also has the vampire virus, which is completely opposite of the group. Okay. Um, so she has this other these disorders that people are very against, and that gives her a attitude towards everything else that is almost on. I don't want to say completely on the opposite side of the party, but it's okay. so the party has this one side whenever they bring anything up. She always has something else. And I like to use NPCs in that way to kind of round out all ideas um, so that there's always, I guess you can say it's the devil's advocate of the party, but it just gives them a reason to have a, another frame of knowledge. I don't know. How do I want to say that? But it's just another voice in the group that is on the opposite side that makes them think differently. And I've done so this. It, but I want to say I've done this before with our old group, Amanin, uh, the bard. I made him a drow, which made a lot of people not like him. And when I originally created him as an NPC, I wanted him to be that guy in the back of the party that nobody really paid attention to, except that if he was seen with the party, the townspeople would say, ew, what is that? Why is he with you? Wasn't that Nate's character? Yeah, Nate, Nate came in and started playing a Manon, but I originally oh, created him as an NPC. Yeah. And I just like to have that character in there to have, you know, not only is their voice also in there to help bring in other sides, but it's also whenever they're in a crowd. And it, see, it's like that again uh, with Imanon. He was a drow that the townspeople are like, ew. You have a drow with you. What are you thinking? And now I have a goblin with my Shadowrun group. And they're just like, ew, why do you have that horrid creature with you? I don't know. I think I like to use them as that sort of thing. Uh, not only to, in, re- to reveal characters motives. Yes. You know, like, like they can either sow dissent or they can demonstrate loyalty. Or right. They can... And it also gives you a reason for if you want to keep them. It gives you uh, the characters another reason for. To show their their allegiance, not allegiance, but their their sides, I guess I would say. Like, if like, oh, no, I can't be seen with this person. We're going to keep you off here, or I'm going to stand up for you. It just gives them a little bit uh, character progression in a way. Show okay. what your character is actually all about. So they're emblematic of, of uh, almost external attitudes. There you go. Certain people yeah. or certain classes, races, whatever. There you go. See, I, I go the other route almost, which is I make it more interpersonal. I I don't typically take that tactic when I am crafting an ally. Not only do I try to make their skill set something that the party values, but I also try to give them some sort of quirks that the party may or may not value. So maybe they are annoying in some way, but if you're making um, an NPC that has some complexity to them, then there has to be a reason why the party keeps them around independent of their skill set. Maybe they're good for a laugh. Maybe they're incredibly loyal. Maybe they, whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, offer insights into something. They have some sort of, uh, so independent of the utility, you have to, Oh, excuse me. Think in terms of what are their personality merits and what are their personality flaws. Uh-huh. And 
with Bohr in particular, to kind of get back to your earlier question, it's hopefully evident that the character is of some value to the party, but in what ways is not really totally clear yet. And also, I think it's somewhat interesting that it's like, you're like, oh, we have a ranger, and then now you're kind of going like, well, is he a ranger? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And anytime you get someone guessing at whether the character is somebody that they like or don't like or have confidence will have their back or have some sort of use in the party, then that at least makes them intriguing. And players uh, are usually drawn to things that are intriguing in some way. So, but that said, you don't want to like live in that world all the time where there's some like uncertainty about an NPC right now. We're kind of in the early stages so he's kind of a question mark, mm-hmm. but there is an uneasy alliance there. And if there's not an uneasy alliance there, it undermines any bond that the characters might forge with one another or an NPC. If it's just automatic trust, like this guy's a good guy and he's in the party now. And it's like that seems a little force for uh, <clears throat> the the situation. So one thing I wanted to say, uh, piggybacking off of that is that my character has taken Boar as like his lackey. He's Boar is now my Watson to my homes. And one reason why I really latched onto him is that one of the best things. And I think, I think the only reason that it might work so well is because Dave and I have been playing these games for so long together. And we have been forever GMs for so fucking long. But I'm sure you saw how much I belittle bore throughout the, mm-hmm. throughout the night. And I'm not doing that to somebody else. I'm doing that yeah. to a character that you've created and exactly. you're, you're okay with that. I'm not to my, we'll, we'll see if more is okay with well, that. I know, long but term. I'm saying like, if we were playing at a table and my buddy Beto was right next to me and I started belittling him over and over it's, and over again, it's a safe way for you to demonstrate yeah. your character's boorish nature without stepping on the toes of any other players. And that's why I latched on to Boar instead of any of the other player characters. That is, um, that taps into another key aspect of a, of a good ally that I was going to bring up, which is good allies should bring to the fore the most prominent characteristics of the PCs. Mm-hmm. They should be there to... Ideally, you would like the PCs to bring out the personalities of the other PCs and kind of have some some dynamism among them. But a good ally can act as a catalyst to give other players an opportunity to demonstrate their personality, especially when it might be, to your point, something that it might seem a little gruff or uh, I know in, in past sessions and everything, I you've come off to the other PCs as if you're being kind of like whatever yeah. rough and dismissive. Mm-hmm. Like, what is Matt's problem? It's like, Matt doesn't have a problem. It's just like, is, he's. but if you're doing it to an NPC, the NPC is there as a way, a vehicle to you demonstrating your, um, demonstrating your your characteristics and i uh, suspect that a better way to do um well i shouldn't say i suspect a the role of a 
of an, a good ally that isn't within the party is that the ally that exists outside the party doesn't necessarily have all the same goals, right? An NPC that's a member of the party, the party always has failing all else. If all else fails, the NPCs in the party at least have like that party notion of like, this is what we're doing and this is where we are. And But a NPC that exists outside the party that is an ally can can be a sounding board for differing concepts and maybe like getting the party to change its values so that's a big asset and it's uh an interesting dichotomy between those two those two notions which is an ally that might be powerful especially one that might even potentially be a party member i'm a fan of having that happen where maybe there is like a rotating party member where I did it in Curse of Strahd where it was uh, you guys made an ally of Esmeralda mm-hmm. and Esmeralda uh, had some problems with the Vistani who were aligned with the Dusk Elves and then this other Dusk Elf guy, Casimir he implored you on a quest and Esmeralda was kind of hey, like I'm in the party now and then it's like Casimir's this Dusk Elf and he wants and she's like, yeah, I'm not coming along with that guy uh, I'll catch up with you guys some other time. And so it's kind of a rotating, you had another party member that that rotated in be, and demonstrated that there are conflicting ideals between one NPC or another, and it makes them a distinct person because they're not always necessarily going to be in the party no matter what. And anytime you can use one NPC or another NPC to illustrate competing goods, then that reveals something about the PCs and their goals and changes the trajectory of the adventure, which is always surprising and interesting. Right. All right, Dave, I want to ask you, because when we first came up with this topic, the first thing that came to mind was a GM NPC in my mind. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought. Sure. Because whenever I come up with an ally, they always become a part of the party. It just seems like, even if they're not always traveling with them, they're always a part of the group. They just become another party member. Maybe. So when that that's what I want to know is when you, when we originally came up with this idea, what was in your head as a party ally? And it, do, do you even think of it as a party ally or is it just an ally? Because even when I think of it back in our days of second edition, like Mortigan and Amber, they were mm-hmm. our allies, but they were a part of the party at one point. They were both parts of the party at one point, but they're not necessarily. Uh, think about it in terms of of um, NPCs that are important to the plot, assist the al- assist the PCs in some way. Mm. And are also invested in the PC's success. That's how I think of an ally. They may be a member of the party, but they may not be. They may not be an adventurer even. So uh, Ismark is a good example. In the previous Curse of Strahd campaign, he was an ally. Provided assistance, insight, aid. Uh, His sister Arena too, also an ally. Who was kind of a member of the party at some point. But never really looked at as like a full-fledged 
member of the party so much as she might be along for the ride for certain um certain quests or certain goals so an ally is anybody that has a vested interest in helping the party because the party helps them because your goals are aligned in some way this discussion i think came up because we we talked about what makes a good villain mm-hmm. and the villain is just definitionally the antagonist of the adventure that is has goals antithetical to the pcs so an ally is somebody that has goals that are in line with the pc they might be a member of the party but again it has to be what is their utility and if their utility is not something that is likely to manifest in um not likely to manifest in a way that is conducive to coming along on the quest then you need to think about other ways in which they are useful and if you're successful in that then the party should be invested in this character even if they only show up occasionally because they're there and they they have similar goals and maybe they have some things that are off-putting or whatever that just gives them texture but to the point it's the the doppelganger of the the villain discussion which is a villain needs to be scary a villain needs to be intimidating an ally needs to be to share similar goals with the pcs and be endearing in some way even if they have like utmost utility to the party if they don't ingratiate themselves to the party in some way like endear themselves to the pcs through a variety of means uh i'm a big fan of humor i'm a big uh-huh. fan of yeah demonstration uh, again their skills play into uh the party feeling attached to them if you don't have a healer in your party and then there's a healer in your party and he's always there for you to heal you you're gonna like him you're gonna yeah especially that's why i think when i whenever i make an ally they become a part of the party because they become mm-hmm. the rock at some points sure. like you were saying uh like when, you can smell what he's cooking yeah oh yeah and uh when we're talking about villains, how they're the big bad guys that even if they're not the monster of the week, they're just the guy in the the shadows that are orchestrating everything. But they're yeah. still the ones that are pulling apart everything in front of the party. Mm-hmm. This ally that they have is in the back holding it together for them when the party dynamic could be fizzling out. Uh, so that's a really good analogy like a uh, rictavio when i originally ran curse of Strahd, that was my rictavio character he was that guy that always tried to bring in like you said he brought in humor he brought in liveliness when everybody was down and it actually brought everybody back together and that was his whole role he never went out with them on adventures he was just always back there in you know in town ready to buy everybody a round of drinks and bring the group back together. But what I want to know is to bring it all around, when you think of an actual ally for the group, do you prefer the Professor X that stays back at the manor or the one that goes out into the, uh, 
you know, into the lands with everybody and goes on to the adventures with them? Or is that somebody that you just know when you go back home, there's somebody there that's going to make everything better? They serve different roles to me. And so it's probably good to have both somebody that isn't necessarily directly involved in the party, but somebody that might provide assistance, aid, insight, uh, but you have to have a good reason why they're not involved. Mm-hmm. You, you can't just have them not involved ever going on a quest or whatever. And that can always be really good, too. At that point where they keep talking about, I'm too old. I just can't. I can't do it. I'm too old. And then when some shit hits the fan and they become a badass, and then they go back and they hit that cane and they start walking with the cane again. They're like, I can't. I can't keep doing it. It it makes it really fucking awesome. Yeah, there there has to be some reason why they can't be along, right? And uh but they serve a different role. If you're just gonna have one or the other, it probably depends on your party dynamic. Do you if you need your PCs to have a catalyst toward revealing who they are, what they value, the party goals. And everything like that, maybe some sense of direction. Then it's better to have someone in the party that is an ally to them. Like you already said, provide some sort of like anchor grounding mechanism. Uh, probably not a great idea to have a an NPC be like super erratic and, and fly by the seat of their pants. Mm-hmm. Unless your party is already super grounded and pragmatic. Then I would just ask the question, what does that really bring to the party? Maybe some whimsy and some introduce a little chaos if your party is overstructured. But if they don't need that, if they don't, they're more self-sustaining. They're they're interacting with the other PCs. They have a clear sense of what it is that they, they want and the goals that they go after. Then maybe an ally is not best introduced into the party dynamic because the worst thing you can do is introduce someone that seems superfluous Mm -hmm. has no role has no personality adds nothing to the overall um dynamic of the party there are going to be times when your npc in the party is spicing things up but you should think about them like salt on a steak they're not the main course but they add liveliness and if they're ever just not there for long stretches, like the party might even just forget that they're there. Oh, like, right. Yeah. Boar is here. Like, because he hasn't said anything or done anything that was substantive and we don't rely on him in any way, then he's superfluous and you should consider making them more of a distant ally where maybe the better, a better use of their time is not investing in the party's antics in some way, because they're maybe not an adventurer. Mm -hmm. You can make, characters that aren't adventurers they're they're nobles or they're guild leaders or they're in some way they wouldn't really they don't have wanderlust right they're there as an anchor in a location that the party returns to to occasionally to foster during big moments um of uh in the plot then they can return to those areas there is a caution here though which is don't always make one don't always make the party just going to the, the, the NPC that isn't in the party when they need something. 
and don't always have it just be because they're in peril or something. There has to be some intermediary between those two where the party isn't always asking something from the NPC because otherwise they're just a resource that's just being mined. Yeah. And they're not always just like saving them because they're in peril because then it's like, well, this person's just kind of like, why do you care so much? You don't ever spend any time with this person or talk to this person except when they're in trouble. So you have to balance. That's the delicate balance of having a PC that isn't an NPC that isn't in the party. When the NPC is in the party, you it's really easy to have those little breadcrumbs of uh, building party solidarity during camp scenes, during travel montages, during dialogue within the party, during dialogue with other NPCs. It's just time and exposure will build that affection toward the NPC unless you just make them totally flat and boring. So um, would you have anything else to add about those two types of NPCs? One thing that I like that we have both said is that the party ally is the anchor. It's that person that they can always go back to uh, Mm -hmm. no matter where they're at in the, the, the journey of the campaign, the adventure, whatever it might be. It's a person that they can always go back to, to feel grounded and Mm -hmm. kind of like, like level everything out. And I like that uh, when it comes to an ally, be it the party or just outside of the party. But uh, I want to go from story wise to mechanical wise, because Mm -hmm. you, you uh, Dave only works really in D and D. So, when you create creatures for D&D, it's completely different than creating characters. But when you sure. create an ally that you know is going to be around for a while, do you create them like a creature or like a character? Mm. I mean, maybe this isn't, this isn't terribly satisfying, but I kind of split the difference. Oh, no, that's I, very interesting. I don't run them completely like a monster, like mechanically. But I also don't give them the sophistication and um, nuance of a PC because they probably shouldn't. Because to my point earlier, they shouldn't be on par like they should never be a crutch. Mm -hmm. They shouldn't be like an equal um, part of the party. They're there to kind of bolster the party because I want the PCs to be the ones that are largely determining the outcome of the plot. So. I usually just think about it in terms of what is their general role in the party? Say that they're there to bolster damage output. So then I give them a couple of like minor powers that bolster that goal. Um, Maybe they're there for healing purposes because the party doesn't have a healer. I give them a couple of minor things that should be easy enough to remember and run on my part as the, the GM, the NPC should never have a turn that takes as long as a PC. They should be really simple and quick, like boom, boom, boom. Like, because I should know that most of the things are built in and static, more like a monster, Mm -hmm. but with some degree of variance that is more like a PC. But it's part of the reason that I typically don't run spellcasting NPCs. But if I do, they pretty much always have the same spells prepared. Um, And usually toward a specific goal to fill in some sort of gaps. They have like two or three utility spells. That's what they're there for. They're for utility and support. And so I design things toward that end. Whereas if you were a PC, you could be like, yeah, you know, I have a ton of spells and I have some that are uh, combat spells and some that are utility spells and some that are support spells and some that are this. And 
uh, that level of sophistication, I feel, draws the spotlight from the PCs. And I don't want that because the NPC is there to support the NPCs. Or the other way around. The NPC is there to support the PCs. You know what that? That is a, uh, it's a perfect cliffhanger for our episode next week. Because that's also going to go into that. Talking about making some shit your own. So make sure you come back next week. Listen to the episode next week where we're going to talk about all about fucking shit up. Taking rules and fucking it <laughs> all up. up. Making fucking it our own. shit up. But hey, if you like what you're listening to and you got a question for us, send it to inside the GM studio at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. Do you like us? Do you like our voices? I can change it. I got editing software. But uh, for this week, for Inside the GM Studio, I've been your host, Matt. And I am David. A good night.